0: Good morning and welcome to worship here at the table. My name is Matt Smith, and along with Linda Duhirsu, we serve as the co-pastors for this beautiful community of faith, and we're grateful to gather together for worship this morning. For those of us that are gathering online, Chloe is with us, and we encourage you to check in with her if you have any uh, questions or need anything. We are um, moving into a new way of being community. So, Pastor Linda will have uh, week six of chemotherapy tomorrow morning. And this is our first time to lead worship together in a couple of months. And, um, and I'm we'll just see. Go- I'm
1: just going to stand here and take in all the emotions. That's why I'm not talking. <laughs>
0: and we're going to see how her health continues to respond and how we're able to find our way in this configuration. Thank you, Brendan Lowe. You can keep doing that. We're actually going to open... Um, recognizing that we're all, many of us, are bringing all kinds of mixed up feelings into worship. That the world is a a mess, the worship series that we've just come out of, the world has not come out of. And so we acknowledge that, not that we come today with, with easy answers to that, but we do come hopeful that we could be in this together. We gather in the wake of of two mass shootings in our own state just a few days after one another, holding the reality that we have witnessed more mass shootings in our country this year than we've had days this year. On Friday, the world, at least some paused to commemorate and to hold the unholdable that six million people, six million Jewish people, had their lives taken in the Holocaust. And then that same evening, video footage was released showing the horrors of Tyree Nichols having his life taken by five men with badges. And so we open worship in these times that are troubling as we have in so many different days together pausing to invite our hearts and our bodies and our souls to take in even if it's just a little bit of what the world is holding right now and some of us might be in a place where we really can't take in anymore and we want to acknowledge that however we're coming into this space is real and true and there are places around the sanctuary if you need to just tune out from the words and pray with a candle that can help us, some of us, some of the time. So I invite us uh, to be in a spirit of prayer as we hold with God's breaking heart, the world around us. (laughs) Loving God, we pray this day that your comfort might be felt in the Nichols family. We pray for Tyree's mother, who will soon lay her own son to rest. We pray for his four-year-old little one, for his siblings, for his family and friends who've loved him fiercely and are finding their way in the days of grief as the world looks on. May your comfort and peace guide their way. Reverend Dr. King reminds us that protest is the language of the unheard, and so may our world listen. Listen to the language as we reimagine policing, as we reimagine violence and ways to be together as community. We pray as well for those five officers. They're also sons, Beloved family members, God, they have committed horrendous crime. And your gospel calls us to both justice and forgiveness. So may these officers find their ways to redemption. Hear the cry, God, of your people. Receive our lament. Transform our anger into action our fear into hope, our brokenness into healing. May this be our prayer in Jesus' creative ways and many names. Amen. Amen. The truth is that it is not just our community that's gathered over these years to open and worship, to pause, but it is the people of God throughout the generations who have known and moved through with sometimes resilience and sometimes overwhelm. Trusting in God and each other to find their way to sustain one another. And so at moments like this, some of us might not feel ready to sing. We might not feel even ready to pray out loud or even ready to talk out loud about what we feel. And so I find in moments like this that we can often turn back. Turn back to those who have gone before us, who might show us a way forward through the beauty of song, through the beauty of art, through the hope of the gospel. And so this morning, we move into all of that. And we invite you, if and when you're ready, to join our music team as we share together in Sam Cooke's version of This Little Light of Mine. I invite you to stand as you're willing and able.
2: Amen. 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 Amen, amen, amen. Mm, amen. Amen, 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 This little eye This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine To show my love I tell you that everywhere I go, I'm going to let it shine.
0: Amen, indeed. I invite us to be seated and we are gonna keep moving together in worship. This is a prayer that comes to us in the form of a poem by Chloe McKellie.
3: It is a process and a painful one to recognize the way I drip in your grace and to see the dams that shore up its waters made of my hands and mouth and i wrestle in the pit of my stomach to find reality and feel often i emerge for breath with broken clay in my hands I remember at times the vessel bold and curved and unashamed filled with gold waters is that not me and is that not you and who am I to limit the byways of your waters to my fingertips And who am I to underestimate the power of your waters touched by our hands?
4: not forget, the high is for lowly. <laughs> Welcome, my name is Sir Neet Prasad and I'm our Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. We're grateful to be together this morning as we begin a new three-week series in which we'll reflect upon the Sermon of the Mount through the lens of Father Richard Rowe. For those of us gathering online at thetable.live, Chloe is with you as our host this morning. Please message her in the chat if you have questions or need assistance. Today's bulletin is is available with a QR code for those in the century, and a link will be shared for those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please text the word NEW to the number on the screen. When you're ready to connect with others and learn more about the table, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more about how we share life together here at the table. Our next Growing in Faith series will be held on Sunday evening and will begin February 26th. Learn more and sign up online at tableumc.org. We are thrilled to join with other communities of faith in this year's Habitant for Humanity, built for unity. We will have teams from the table working along with other communities of, of faith on February 2nd, 3rd, and 5th. Please learn more and sign up as we have limited opening. So one of the, in the lyrics, when we were listening to the song, it says, let go. And, and at that moment, I, I thought of whenever I come here every or on a Sunday, I let go of so many things. And one of the things is that letting go of um, the world outside. And with that said, I. Whenever we have a community of people coming in and helping me out or volunteers to set up this place, it's, I feel so grateful. Like I'm grateful for the people that I'm surrounded by, everybody, and the encouragement that I get, and, and then the love that I could give back, because they give me that love. So... With that said, Pastor Matt will pass on a clipboard. <laughs> Please sign up. As um, for all of, the, all of you would like to sign up. And I also like to send a link. Uh, we are, we are, it's a sign-up genius, but right now we are transitioning into another site another system, uh, which we'll update later in the stage. I invite you to stand as you're willing and able as we continue to move in worship with turning over tables.
2: no when the see. That dream of hope give me shade
5: ¡Gracias!
0: in the sanctuary to be invited to find a seat and I want to encourage our young friends we are gonna transition and there's already some walking music happening I see teachers in the back Victor and Empress if you are a young friend who would like to move to godly play we have teachers that are there to take you back to that space together Our children there gather on the floor to hear stories shared um, from our oral tradition of the gospel. And they'll hear today a story of a parable and then wonder together about God's love in that space. And and they'll find ways to respond and then they'll share a feast, crackers and juice. They often ask questions about, is that really a feast? (laughs) And the church gets to live into that question for its whole life. And so we are going to move into a sharing this morning of the Gospel of Matthew um, chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. and we're going to do that a little bit differently. So on the screen, uh, you'll see the text shared in front of us and just to invite you into this text that might be familiar for some and may be being seen for the first time by others. So let us move into the Beatitudes. may the depth of your love, the boldness of your hope, and the gentleness of your care be embodied in the words shared and in the meditations of all of our hearts that we might find ourselves led deeper into your calling. We offer this time in your creative ways and many names. Amen. Father Richard Rohr shares this. The Sermon on the Mount is the very blueprint for Christian lifestyle, and most scholars see it as the best summary of Jesus' teaching. For those of us that might not be familiar, the Sermon on the Mount in one version is recorded in Matthew, and it's chapters 5 through 7. And as I've been reading and rereading these chapters over this week, I have found myself left with questions that if this is Jesus' teachings summarized the blueprint, like left with this sense of like, you cannot be serious. You just can't. Thankfully, I've been reminded as well that I'm actually not alone in holding that question or that skepticism about what in the world am I supposed to actually do with the Sermon on the Mount? There is a former bishop of Pakistan who currently resides in a region of the world right between Pakistan and Afghanistan and he is uh, the right reverend uh, Mano Ramoshah and I want to invite you just to hear some of his after many years of living out the gospel as best he's able reflecting on this Sermon on the Mount and the questions that he brings to it. Let's listen.
2: I always tell people because uh all through my adult life, till very late, I never used to touch the Beatitudes. That's the Matthew 5, first 12, thirteen verses. They are not written for me. They are not written for us human beings. They are unlivable. Too hard. Too hard. But now, through my experiences where God placed me in the last 20 quarter century, I've learned, yes, it's meant for me. But I so conveniently want to ignore and bypass. I challenge humanity. You look at 5, 6, seven chapter of Matthew and give me its parallel. And that sums up the totality of what our life on earth ought to be under God.
0: going to spend these three weeks trying to look there at the totality summed up of what our life on earth ought to look like under God to move deeper into instead of away from the Sermon on the Mount And we're holding this in conversation with a book written by Father Richard Rohr all the way back in 1996 and then republished this fall. And we're doing this because a number of people in our community shared when we offered our deep commitments in the fall and then all the way through to these most recent weeks a desire to continue to learn from Father Richard Rohr. Many of us receive his daily emails, and some of us, Chloe is actually mentored by a person who's been on the board there at the Center for Action and Contemplation, and, and we're aware that um, Father Richard is also moving toward the end of his life and holding all of the wisdom that he brings into this moment that he has shared and continues to bring to us. I want to acknowledge that following Father Richard, a sermon could actually be shared on each one of the Beatitudes. But instead of uh, keeping you here all the way through the Kansas City football game, I know there's another football game as well, <laughs> we're going to not move through each of the Beatitudes. We'll save that for another day. At least I hope we might. The opening sentences in Matthew 5 actually set the stage for what is going to happen and how we'll be invited to think and rethink about power, about powerlessness, about God. Matthew 5 opens, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. Do you hear it? He went up the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him and they began to speak. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Early followers would hear he went up the mountain, And immediately know this is a reference to to Moses going up the mountain. And so Jesus is going back to that mountain. A new Moses people might have imagined. A new Moses reimagining and creatively reinterpreting the Jewish tradition that came to us when Moses went up that mountain. This morning we'll focus on As we just heard, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 12, this is a text, though, that continues on. The whole sermon will unfold in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we commend all of those chapters to you in the coming weeks. Father Richard suggests the introductory teaching in the Sermon on the Mount has to do with the new understanding and strategy of power. Jesus is leading us into the power that is apparently the power of God to us It feels like powerlessness. Most of our translations actually take us into the Beatitudes with the word blessed. You heard it or we read it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Instead of hearing blessed, Father Richard Rohr invites us instead to hear Jesus' proclamation in this way. Good for you. How fortunate are you? How enviable are you? Good for you who are poor in spirit. How fortunate are you to mourn? How enviable are the meek? Good for you when you're persecuted. What is actually happening in this text? Good for you, all these things that feel not so good. Jesus actually seems to affirm most everything that I spend most of my life avoiding. Father Richard Rohr says, we could call the Beatitudes how not to be an American, or how not to win friends and influence people. Jesus is offering an alternative. proclaiming that the way up is the way down or the way down is the way up or as we just sang the high is for the lowly jesus is turning over tables father richard describes it this way there's a cruciform shape to reality it seems loss precedes all renewal emptiness makes way for every new infilling Every transformation in the universe requires the surrendering of a previous form. Nothing in the human psyche likes this pattern. Not my human psyche. <laughs> and it's why I try to avoid it quite often, actually. Matthew 5, 6 says this way, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. This is one that i like to latch on to, for they shall have their fill. And it's a spiritual and it's also a a social call in this way. Most of our translations, though, miss on the actual ancient Greek words. So they say they hunger and thirst for what is right or for righteousness as we read it. But the Greek translation is actually more, more fully about justice, about justice. Notice this concept of justice then is in the middle of the Beatitudes and then it's at the end of the Beatitudes, When a text comes back to this, we can start to wonder about it might be inviting us into a deeper holding of what that could look like. The couplet emphasizes an important point, says Richard Rohr. To live a just life in this world is to identify with the longings and hungers of the poor, the meek, those who weep. This identification and solidarity is in itself a profound expression or form of social justice, Yet this upside down reality feels unrealistic, maybe even impossible. And it leaves me wondering like, how do we actually take this seriously? Can we actually take this seriously? And if we could, what would it look like? And so some of my own faith journey has evolved around these very questions. And I wish I could tell you that I landed in a certain place and it's never grown or evolved from there. But what I can name is that my own working on this has been part of what it's come to mean to me to be loved by God and to to love God. Initially for me, it was a text like the Sermon on the Mount that allowed me to speak back. To speak back to this form of what I now understand to be like white Christian nationalism, in which I was shaped in a small parachurch group, but then also in the caricature of Christianity that seeps into our world all the time. And it was in reading a text like this that I began to see that if we turn to Jesus, what people are are posing as Christianity crumbles. And then I struggled with how do I say that Who else is saying that around me? And then how do I untangle myself from all of the insidious ways those expressions of Christianity have gotten inside my body and my mind and my heart and my soul? And so there was a time when rage was the primary thing I felt when I tried to hold the Sermon on the Mount in conversation with the reality of Christianity lived around me. These were communities that confused the gospel with a desire or a longing for personal certitude and control. Everything that I found Jesus turning the tables upside down on. So I tried to go looking, I wanted to find a serious Christian community that would take and live these values, not just with a image outside or with words, but in the ways that they shaped their life. And so early on in college, that took me down to Nicaragua and to live just for a short time in a base Christian community with these folks that were living out what it meant to share the gospel among poor people, to live then with some nuns on what's called the Falls Road in Northern Ireland, And then it took Sarah and I into this small Christian community, intentional community in Minneapolis where people were trying to live out the highest for the lowly and we shared homes together, shared cars. We all committed at that time early in the life of that community to like work part time and then commit the rest of our lives to developing a restaurant that we shared food with others through. We lived in this space and lots of us were committed to civil disobedience. This sense that you actually need to turn the tables over. And so people in our community would be sent to jail and we would have prison and jail ministries as folks would, would do that work. And it felt like I'm trying to live deeper into the upside down way that Jesus is calling. And as I found myself living into that alternative plan, what I actually found myself in was a different kind of a trap. And the trap that I found in that space was that no matter what we did, no matter how hard we worked, no matter how much we organized, it never quite felt like we could fully live out what's happening here. Never felt like enough. So in large part, I I left working in refugee resettlement and went off to seminary because I wanted to keep grappling. I think I was still looking for where is that perfect place to live out the depth and the reality of what Jesus is calling us to. And I found myself Working in the South Bronx, alongside Alexi Torres and young Puerto Rican and Dominican kids. And we were working all the way back then around police reform. The same stuff we're working on today. Around environmental justice, about how do we take people out on the Bronx River. People don't even know. We live in, the, we live in a neighborhood called the South Bronx. We don't even know that there is a Bronx River. How do we go out on the river and turn these brown fields into green spaces? And it was in that place that I found these young people that challenged me. And for me, they asked me to look into my own life, my own story, who I am and who God is in that. And these these questions that they asked me converted me. They're just 15, 16. They just thought they were talking back to this young adult. They were changing my life. And so I found myself shifting then from thinking that I could go out and find a community that is living Jesus's alternative plan with perfection. And instead, I was challenged to sit in the uncomfortable ambivalence of how my life actually lives in accordance with or in relationship with this text. And so over the years, I've come to realize that I just actually can't do this work alone. And thankfully, I find myself converted not just back then by these 15, 16-year-old kids in the South Bronx, but I found myself over and over and over and over today converted, learning to read the Sermon on the Mount from within the fabric of God's grace, which oftentimes I need people around me to help me see where I'm losing my way to read the text from the center of God's love, I can then be converted to take this one fragile life that we have more seriously. And it's happened for me over these last months alongside some of you, many of you, maybe all of you, as I've been forced to grapple with the fragility of life with Pastor Linda's health uncertainties. As I've I've been forced to, to move into how quickly Life can just be taken from us. As I sat with Jim and Lena, and then just weeks later, Jim was, life was taken. As I sit with Joan and Greg, and they wonder about next steps, or as Nick and Teresa and their little kids were sitting on a a couch, and then the next thing they knew, they were at the hospital, and they weren't sure that Nick was gonna keep going. Those are conversion moments back to the seriousness of this one fragile life that we are blessed to live. And it's not just that for me. It's converted as well as we gathered over these last months in, in what we called like discernment around our relationship with this big denomination called the United Methodist Church. And we, we gathered out at the farm and we wondered about our relationship with this. We are an old line church living in a moment in which the old line church is collapsing. And it's one thing to talk about getting to be part of this moment in time when a new church is being born. It's another thing to try to keep your hands up so that things don't crash on top of you. And it may have just felt like we were connecting out there at the farm, but I think we were widening the circles about how do we hold this stuff? Because the truth is that Sarnit comes in here and he lets go of some things But there's so much of the past that allows us to come into this space at all. This space is here because brave, bold people imagined what it looks like to live out Jesus' alternative plan. And we went astray because people go astray. And here we are, forced to to live in these challenges of, of the bureaucracies that are imploding around us. And how do we keep on keeping on? Converted as well by the deep commitments that so many of you all have shared. You're longing, actually, to to hold your life in conversation with these kinds of questions. And it can feel like we're alone in this space. Like my challenge to Christianity, the ambivalence that I feel is uniquely me. Everyone else must have certitude and certainty about how they're figuring this out. I can tell you I've read all of our deep commitments. None of us do. Not one of us does. And that can feel scary and it can make us want to run away or it can take us deeper into the community that reminds us of the fabric of grace in which God holds us and then challenges us to see with the eyes of God. And we do that by sharing those deep commitments, by gathering in kitchen tables to tend to one another's souls, by creatively reimagining what it means to be church to go outside and to see to see God's community not as primarily in this space but of the world worship centers us sends us out and then we blur the line because what is table farm is that for us almost 300 newcomers found their way into growing food alongside others over this last year almost 300 that's, that's a blurred line. That's for us? These are the kinds of, of ambivalent places that are serious places, not ambivalent distant places, but, but serious places that God calls us into. A God who came to us baking and breaking bread alongside others and calling us to do that kind of thing as we center the life and the love of God all around us, not because we have something special to share with others, but because God's spirit is already on the loose in the world. And if we're going to practice our faith, we're going to have to be out in those uncomfortable places. And that'll look differently for all of us. Ben's way of playing that bass is different than my way, but I can tell you when I, when I was driving back with Linda from a pastor gathering and I heard Hannah start to wail on one of the lines from Reach Out, I'm converted again. Over and over and over. Jesus says it this way, after all those blessings, he says, if salt becomes tasteless, how can we salt the world with it? If salt has become tasteless, how can we salt the world with it? And Father Richard, in his gentle and sometimes Enneagram one way, (laughs) rages against that. He says, that message seems especially true today. If we no longer believe the gospel, if we no longer believe in nonviolence, no longer center powerlessness, then who's going to convert us? We're supposed to be the leaven in the world Yet if we no longer believe in the gospel, live this out, what we hope to do, what do we hope to offer anyone around us? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It, it seems that so many saints and prophets go out into the world, he says, pointing to others about a core message, but then they come back because they actually have to then convert or reconvert the people who think that they're the Christian community. That's uncomfortable. There's no new world to, to point to or to bring home to people when we don't hold it at the center of who we are. And Jesus' conclusion is actually rather pessimistic compared to our practice of plugging along with an awful lot of salt that has lost its zing. Jesus says, it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Like, What is this Jesus talking about? calling the disciples the salt of the earth he's not saying you're the saved ones he's never trying to create this members only club he's consistently in fact saying that God's love is for those on the outside the high is for the lowly Jesus's love is turning over tables just as much as God loves the insiders God's mercy is for those who've been pushed to the edge and if we don't believe that message Father Orr says, We're good for nothing. We do more harm than good. And Jesus is calling us then to creative self criticism and giving us a capacity for self regeneration. That's a humble place of leading the cha- reading the challenge of the Beatitudes from within the fabrics of God's grace. As long as some people hold on to this upside down wisdom of the gospel, it'll be enough to flavor the whole meal of life, says Father Rohr. The good news gives a taste to the world. In short, it's not as important that each individual gets saved as it is that the gospel wisdom be in the world for our salvation, and we then spend our lives holding ourselves in conversation with it. Jesus was teaching this alternative wisdom that shakes the social order Instead of upholding this conventional wisdom, the Sermon on the Mount shatters the status quo, invites us to live here on earth as if the reign of God has already actually begun. In that way, it's not a prescription for how to do it. It's a description telling us that it's actually already happened. Heaven is right now. Can we look through the lens of God's eyes and to see that? In this reign, the sermon tells us the poor are blessed, the hungry filled, the grieving filled with joy, enemies loved. It's this upside down way to see the world. One theologian says that this is the state of being ultimately concerned. It's looking beyond the surface as the world sees and seen with a deeper lens of God's love. And it leaves me to wonder what my life or your life would look like if we were to allow the Sermon on the Mount that will hold these three weeks not just to be heard, but lived. What our community would look like if we would shape our values and our ways of being together, our living together around this upside-down way, or what our world would be like. It seems impossible. The nations are going to be peacemakers. The Sermon on the Mount reminds us they are. Can we see below what is? Will we allow ourselves to open up? The introductory teaching in the Sermon on the Mount has to do with the new understanding and strategy of power. Jesus is leading us into the power of God, and to us it feels like powerlessness. So if our lives were centered around that powerlessness, including the outsider, committing to nonviolence, celebrating the high by becoming the lowly, turning over tables with Jesus' love, will we dare to try to take seriously the gospel that Jesus is sharing? It would actually seem to me that Jesus is utterly and absolutely serious about this. And our question is, are we? Amen
5: Man. Hmm. Hmm.
1: So many before us actually really did dare. Matt talked about them, those that built this building. You've still never even figured out how they dared to make this side not match the other side. (laughs) Because the blueprints have them matching. Many before us really did strike out in ways in which powerlessness became the way of love, God's love, and we stand in that long line of love, hmm. and it's a long line that centers on the outsider, centers on commitment to nonviolence, even in the face of her heinous acts. And one of those among us also who came before us, he and his people were centered on the land, on creation, on the great spirit. And his name was Vine Deloria. And we're going to move into a time and a prayer of confession with his words, that he uh, recorded in his writing called God is Red. So I invite us, those of us who are willing and able to stand as we join our hearts and voices with his words in this prayer of confession.
6: Let us pray. The lands lands of the planet planet call to humankind for redemption. redemption. but But it is a a redemption redemption of sanity, not not a supernatural reclamation project at the end of history. The lands wait for those who
0: can discern their rhythms.
6: The peculiar genius of each continent, each river valley, the rugged mountains, the placid lakes, all call for relief from the constant burden of exploitation. Who will find peace with with the lands? The future future of humankind lies waiting for for those who will come to understand their their lives and take up up their responsibilities to all living things. Who will listen to the the trees, trees, the animals and birds, the The voices voices of the the places of of the the land.
1: Hear these words of assurance and pardon which come actually to us from long ago, a first century prayer. Show yourselves to those who are in need. Heal the sick. Fill the hungry. Give freedom to prisoners. Console the faint-hearted. This way of Christ's beauty and love is yours, yours, ours. This day and evermore, let us say amen.
0: Amen. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you.
1: the giver of every good thing. You, God, create the visible world and all it contains. You inebriate it with inexhaustible springs, and you said, let us make humanity in our own image. You gave us souls endowed with reason and judgment, and you gave us bodies endowed with five senses and with movement, and you brought us into this paradise of delights, but we scorned your commandment. And you rightly thrust us forth from paradise, but you did not wholly reject us in our lost state. You promised to release us from the bonds of death so that we might live and rise from the dead.
0: Fire of compassion descended and took up residence in bread. Fire and spirit are in the womb of her who bore you. Fire and spirit are in the river in which you were baptized. Fire and spirit are in our baptismal font. In the bread and cup are fire. Fire and Holy Spirit. Christ's body is newly mingled with our bodies. Christ's blood has been poured into our veins, Christ's voice in our ears, and Christ's brightness in our eyes. In God's compassion, the whole of Christ is mingled with the whole of creation.
1: together let us pray the words Jesus dared to teach his disciples and they dared to pray them out loud and to pass them through the generations all the way to us this is a version a paraphrase actually found in the New Zealand prayer book let us pray eternal spirit earth maker
6: pain bearer life giver
1: source of
6: all that is and that shall be, father and mother of us all, loving God in whom is heaven, the hallowing of your name echoes through the universe.
5: The way of
6: your justice be followed by the peoples of the earth. Your heavenly will be done by all created things. Your Your commonwealth Commonwealth of peace and freedom, sustain our hope and come on earth. With With the the bread bread we need for today, feed us. In in the hurts hurts we absorb from from one another, forgive us. In times of temptation and test, spare us. From the grip of all that is evil, free us. For you, you reign, reign in, in the glory of, of the power, the power
1: that, that is
0: love, now, now and, and forever, forever. Amen. Amen. Pour your Spirit, God, upon these gifts which are before us, and upon each of us gathered here and spread across many places. Make these gifts the body and the love of Christ, and make us through the sharing of this feast your love alive in the world, Amen.
1: Amen. You may be seated. All are welcome to the table of god's love and when we say all we mean everyone always here at the table and online we are hoping that you are moving into this feast as you feel led and if you are at home or wherever not in this sanctuary please get close to you your bread and your cup Here in the sanctuary, we're going to move outside for our feast. Out this door, come back around. And back in the back of the sanctuary, there are places to kneel and to pray. I really love how the lights are low. That's great, Corey. Thank you. Because sometimes it just feels hard to move around in all the light, right? But we can go and be in quiet spaces all around here. There are candles for us or you can just sit quietly in the pew. For many of us, this is a practice in our life. For some of us, we've never dared to do anything like this before. And many of us are somewhere in between, but please know that no matter what happens, you can't make a mistake here. We watch over one another in God's love, in this divine dance towards the table and around one another and in prayer. We are all God's children, all of us. And so let us come for this feast.
0: Friends, this is the bread of life and the body of Christ broken for you. Linda, the bread of life and the body of Christ broken for you. The God of God's love poured out for you. Thank you. Loving God, we give you thanks for the depth of this holy mystery, for this divine dance. May we be reminded in the sharing of this feast of your love for the world. As we are held in the fabric of your grace, may we be sent to be an expression of healing and hope an embodiment of your presence in our lives. Amen. We want to encourage each of you to wonder about what God's next steps might be for you, whether that means taking another step in developing community just outside the doors or logging in online to connect with another person, perhaps taking a next step by joining the hospitality team and connecting with Sarnit outside or to join those folks that will be with Habitat. We have a few more openings in each of those days, and today would be your last day, our last day, to sign up to be a part of one of those. We are going to go out this morning in song. This is a song. That just like the, much like the Sermon on the Mount challenges us to see the world God envisions and invites us to live that out in our daily lives. Jubilee is the ancient practice of forgiving debts, forgiving um, all of the, the hurt that has been inflicted upon us and we have inflicted upon others and living into a new creation, jubilee. So this is going to be our sending out. I invite those in the sanctuary to stand as you're willing and able.
2: I see the morning coming in your eyes Jubilee
0: looks upon you in creation and, and sees in ways that we don't often imagine. So held in the fabric of God's grace, God's love for you. May you live with utter seriousness into Jesus's alternate plan for the world.